So welcome to this episode of the podcast. I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to have Dr. Jean-Claude Gamberto with me today. I've had the great pleasure of working directly with him in the anatomy lab, which was just, oh, I can't even tell you, wonderful. Maybe we'll get to talk about that. But more importantly, I would like him to share with us some of the history behind his work. And thank you for being with me today, Jean-Claude. Wow. It's a pleasure for me too, because we can have the opportunity to, to talk about a lot of things. Uh, I can use some uh, video or if you want, but you, we can have only a talk to explain things. Because sometimes you don't need video or images to explain. We can talk if you want. And also, I know one of the things I'm going to be giving information on uh, with this podcast is the link to your website that now holds over 1,500 um, videos that you've made over the years of intracellular exploration of, of the human tissue. And there's animations and photographs of all sorts of things. And before we detail all that, um, I would like to ask you, what motivated you way back when? I know you're originally a hand surgeon. What motivated you no, to... No, no. I'm sorry. I, am, I, I was not a hand surgeon at the beginning. Oh. Oh. I am a, no, I am a general surgeon. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, I did orthopedics. I did plastic surgery and transplantation surgery. So I did a lot of things during my surgical life. But at the end, nearly the end, I mean, uh, I was around uh, 50, 55. I decided to organize um, emergency service for trauma. And so I became most, most an hand surgeon, but I, I have continued to practice plastic and reconstructive surgery. So I am not only a hand surgeon. Understand. I am a general surgeon, in fact. Would you explain on this podcast something, a story that you told me when we over breakfast one day, because I loved it. We, you were telling me about somebody where you transplanted tissue from the latissimus dorsi to the forearm, and you were explaining to me how the fascia took different time frames. I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead, and can you tell that story? Because I think my listeners would love it. Well, frankly speaking, I don't remember, but I, I did this kind of surgery very often, but it's a um, microsurgical transplantation. Right. of a big muscle with a skin flap. Uh, this muscle generally is the latissimus dorsi. And for example, uh, you can use it for a, a gap, a tissue gap after trauma or after cancer. Uh, and you can also use it, for example, if you want to reconstruct the flexor system at the forearm. You right. can transplant the latissimus dorsi to give um, to give a sort of a rehabilitation, a rehabilitation of the force by contraction and giving movement to the flexion of the finger. 
you need to wait. The, sur the, the, the surgical procedure is around 12 hours, but sometimes 50%, 60%, we have good results, but not all the time. Right. Not all and the time. What are, the, what are some of the difficulties? Because I remember you saying to me that the different structures within the fascial matrix, such as the nerves and the um, muscular tissues and the, the different qualities of the tissue take different amounts of time to rehabilitate is that was that right yeah because when when you you transfer a muscle from the back to the forearm you you are obliged to cut the artery the vein and the nerve. Right. So when you insert the muscle at the level of the forearm, you are making, you are obliged to make anastomosis of the artery, anastomosis of the vein, and anastomosis of the nerves. Right. When you are when you have made anastomosis of the artery, it's absolutely obvious because your muscle is bleeding. You can be sure that your anastomos is good. You can do the same for the vein, but for the nerve, even you are doing a very nice anastomosis, you can't obtain an immediate uh, observation. You oh. have to wait. Mm. And even if you did it with precise gesture, you are never sure of the result. Right. First, and the, if you have a result, you are never sure of the quality of the result. It's a little bit up to the nature of yes. the patient. And uh, well, I don't say it's hazard because it's not hazard, but it's aleatory caused by the patient. Got Very it. Often. So what brought you from that work? What inspired you to bring the images that you were seeing under the skin? What motivated you to begin no. the End of Vivo Productions? Well, I am presently, I am 76. <laughs> <laughs> you look wonderful. I am 76. And uh, around me, uh, I have some friends who died or who are not in good shape. And after 20 years, I am still now, I am the only one to have done this kind of work in the world. Yes. In the world. So I decided to, to give to the general public and to give to the scientific uh, people to give this. <coughs> 
this work because I think it's very important to show to show what is living matter. Yeah. Because a lot of uh, scientists are working on dead, dead. And I insist on the world, on dead cadaver or yeah. on dead fragments of muscle or skin or what you want. But it's dead. Tell me. <laughs> it's dead. So we are talking about living matter through dead procedure, yeah. dead uh, fragment. So there is something strange, don't you think? Absolutely. So, and it's, it's not a very easy message because a lot, I, I, I could say all the scientists are working on dead fragments. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you and I have spent hours in the lab at least working with teal, which is soft fix. And we were able to put the endoscope in all sorts of places and see. I remember once we did, we put the endoscope in the neck area and we were moving the feet and seeing the fluid exchanges and movements really distal from the, the motion of the yeah, body. Yeah. So that was nearer, that was nearer to an anesthetized living body. Yes. And, and when you are looking to history of anatomy, history of anatomy, yeah. the first step has been first to refuse to practice cadaver dissection during centuries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then around the 16th century, Italian, French, and English, and German have decided to begin to dissect human. And then appear the first description of human anatomy by. Andreas Vesalius. Yeah. And then after, during the 18th century, appear, thanks to the microscope, the study of tissue. This is called histology. Okay? Yeah. So we know now very well the human anatomy in terms of description of organs, no problem. We know very well the tissue, muscles, uh, nerves, etc. We know that we have cells and we know many things about cells and genetic organization. But, but where is the movement? You're singing from my hymn sheet, Jean-Claude. <laughs> Nobody is talking about the movement, the suppleness. And you well, can understand that only if you are studying in vivo, I mean the living yes. human anatomy. That's all. You need 
now to understand that we are at the first step, that means to study living and to study the mobility of things. Absolutely, because so I, I primarily I was I'm a movement teacher, and my big struggle is on every level. I mean, literally, I've said things like, "Why are we sitting in conferences, getting, you know, tired and stiff, sitting in our chairs? We're talking about how to help people move. We need to move to help people move, even at that gross level." But when it comes to studying it, I remember being so excited when your first. Um, video came out because it was actually showing what's happening. And one of the things that you said that was so completely fascinating to me was you said there are no layers. You stood up on the stage in the British Fascist Symposium, I think it was. It might have been before that. It might have been in Belgium in 2012. I can't remember. But you stood up on the stage and you said there are no layers in the human body. The movement is entire throughout the whole system and there are no layers. Would you talk about that a little bit? Because we're taught, even with some of the most senior people in the fascia world, we're shown all these separate layers and it drives me nuts. No. Please. This way of thinking anatomy is obsolete. (laughs) It's obsolete because it's not conformed to the reality. One century ago. (laughs) I'm not laughing at you. I'm in heaven. I am in heaven. I know it's a very difficult sentence. The microvacular collagenic absorbent system. Microvacuolar collagenic absorbent system. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Nobody can pronounce it in English, let alone French. And yet it makes such perfect sense to me. So I interrupted you, but I'm laughing because I love it. It's obsolete. Of course it's obsolete. But uh, you know, how do we get across the across the Rubicon? Go. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I, I say it's obsolete because when I, I was trying to understand how is working the, the flexion and the, the, how can I, the sliding system for flexor tendon. Yeah. Okay. So you are surgeon and you have been to, your uni- to the university and at the university, everywhere in the world, you are taught that the sliding system is sliding, the flexor system is sliding with First, virtual space. Mm-hmm. What is a virtual space? I don't right. know. It's a word, virtual space. And second, is sliding because we have layers. And the layer, which is, which is very close, is sliding on another layer and another layer, and another layer, and giving the sliding system. Okay. I have been to university, and uh, I respect. But when you are surgeon, and when you are looking with a microscope or with an endoscope, you say, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. (laughs) Right. It's not working like that. I am sorry. 
and we have to modify our way of thinking. Yes. And so I have tried as a surgeon, because I was, I was very interested in flexor tendon reconstruction, which is a very difficult problem, very difficult problem, because we have adhesion and we have bad results. So, and I have tried to understand. And so I have used microscope first and then handoscope with a great magnification around 60 times. And you discover a new world, a world of fibers, a world of continuity, Absolutely. a world of mobility of the fibers. And it's, I, I am a rationalist. You know, I am not a, a thinker. I am a surgeon. And when you are looking this mechanical behavior, you say, well, it's, it's wonderful. Because mm -hmm. when you observe this mechanical behavior, without constraint, it's a very well-oiled system. It's fantastic. So when you have observed that, you, you, can't, you can't reward to the former system of virtual space and so on, because it's wrong. Hmm. I, I love it, what you're saying. And this is where I think we get also in a pickle in that we think you use the word mechanical and in a different context, you know, mechanical sometimes means like levers. There are no levers in nonlinear biologic forms. Those are the mechanics of cars, the mechanics of the industrial revolution, which of course was happening when anatomy was developed. But now what you're taking us into, I think, is the geometric, the geometry of this mobile system that self-organizes. And that is I, I think, or do you think that some people find it very different to difficult to go from that that rationale to the without sounding like it's fairy stories to under to speaking about soft matter and geometry? Because what you show in your videos that's so wonderful in the computer graphics, but also in the literal images of the actual living tissue, is this constant state of change. Yeah. Within these beautiful constraints of natural motion. Yes. And not only the constraint uh, state of change, but also you are confronted to the fact that the sliding system is organized by fibers in a total dispersed pattern. Yeah. I don't say chaotic, but in a physical, traditional physical sense, it's yeah. chaotic. Oui, absolutely. Oui. And so many people refuse to say and to, to accept that this, the movement, which is in fact very efficient, very is perfect is under the control of a dispersed pattern. Yes. That means you have efficiency thanks to the chaos. Yes, I love it. You have efficiency thanks to, I'm going to quote you. 
You have efficiency thanks to the chaos. I think this is what people can't cope with on every level. They want it to be ordered and organized and the way it always was. And you're basically saying there's fractal chaos that gives rise to this exquisite accuracy of motion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Literally expresses us expressing ourselves as beings. Every one of us is unique. Every gesture we make is unique in space and time. And what you're saying is, yes, that's a result of our ability to handle chaos. I love that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm just writing it down so that I can quote. It's why, it's why very, I I, I don't say, but I am, it, it's not easy for me to participate sometimes to the Facial Research Congress because my feeling is that many of the participants, uh, I don't say the people participating, but people organizing, uh, they, they seem to be not interested in this kind of research. And I have a a lot of admiration for the the work done by many anatomists concerning the plastination. It's okay. This is a very interesting, but this way of doing it, it's the same as which has been done by Vesalius three centuries ago. Nothing new. We are always on the traditional way of thinking. Well, this is the problem also, I think, Jean-Claude, and you may agree, that some of the language, we need new language because what the, one of the problems is we've got the old language and we're trying to describe the new vision with the old language. And ça ne marche pas. No. It's never going to work. And No, 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 no. I, I, no. It could be working, but you have first to accept what is saying the other, the other researcher. You have to accept. Of course. You have to accept. You have, you have to open your eyes and you have to try to understand. If you say first, well, I don't want to know. No, no, no. It's not interesting. Or, no, I have no time for that. Or, and, and so on and so on. In fact, you refuse to be open. You close your eyes and you are doing the same sort of a routine. Mm. You are going to, 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 to teach students by the same way as yours, you, you, you have been taught by our yes. elders. So yeah. it's a sort of routine. It's very comfortable. You change nothing. You are keeping the same way of thinking. And life is beautiful. But my role, I am not like that. No. I want to understand. That's all. I want to understand how is it working. And uh, uh, this way of thinking is not coming from yesterday. It's coming from at least 20 years, trying to understand how, when you move your hands, yes. all the flexors are working in the same time without any influence 
one on the other. Yes. When you are flexing the, the finger, the, the flexor tendon is moving inside your palm, your palm. Yes. And you don't see the skin moving. No. So there is a mechanical behavior to understand. And this is what motivated you to go so deep in the tissue. And then what made you want to really reveal? What, what motivated you to get all these films out? And Well, first, I have tried to understand how is working the sliding system around the tendon first. And then the second step is because I, am a, I, I was first a general surgeon and a plastic surgeon, so I have been everywhere in the body except the brain, except the brain. And everywhere in the body, you are able to find the same way of organization. It's always the same. Chaos. No, <laughs> so, yes, it's always the same. Uh, for example, at the level of the foot, it's like a hand. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have some difference because it's a foot and it's a hand. But the way of doing is the same. Mm -hmm. You have joints, flexor tendon, extensor tendon. You have arteries, veins, skin. It's the same way. And it's organized in the same way. Do you and think there is a difficulty that researchers have in accepting the universal nature of the fascia. We know it's not the same texture everywhere. It doesn't have quite the same characteristics everywhere. But do you think that people struggle with the idea that the, the one and the all is the same tissue? It's the same everywhere. It's the same way of doing. The fibers are moving in the same way everywhere. But sometimes you can find very thin fibers, and sometimes you can find thicker fibers. Yes, I, I, of course. It's not the same, how can I say, the same diameter. It's yeah. not the same density. In some place, you can find a lot of, uh, a lot of fibers with few cells. On another place, you can find a lot of cells and less fibers. So the, the way of the organization is the same everywhere. So when you are observing that, you say, this connective tissue, I know that it's everywhere. Everybody knows that. But this connective tissue is not connective. It's constitutive because it's framing muscles, framing nerves, framing arteries, framing joint, bone, periosteum. It's everywhere mm -hmm. framing something. So your conclusion is this Connective tissue is a constitutive tissue. In fact, it's a global architecture. And this is not very far from what was saying uh, uh, 
Biostopat, uh, how I don't remember the name uh, of Biostopat. Uh, Andrew Taylor Still. Yes, yeah, Still. Still was saying almost the same. It's yes. an ubiquitous system everywhere. So I don't understand why we are describing the fascia, fascia here, here, but not here. But no, fascia is everywhere. But you have to accept that fascia is the constitutive tissue made of fibrillar architecture. Absolutely. I, I love hearing this because, you know, I, I, I really sometimes I remember right at the beginning when uh, there's so much I want to say, I can't even get my words out. I remember right at the beginning of this when you did um, Strolling Under the Skin was the first video, I think. Yeah. And then people said, yes, this is all very well. This is the superficial fascia, but it's not like that in the muscles. So you did the the interior of the muscles and you showed that this tissue has different textures or different um, like it might have muscle protein in it or it might have less muscle protein because it's it's osseo fascia, if you will. Um, but you demonstrated so relentlessly with all the different films that the the style, the organization, the patterning of that matter is universal and ubiquitous. Absolutely. Everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I just, I, as, a, as a movement teacher, it, I can't even tell you. It literally, it lit us up because it starts to make sense of our sensory awareness as movers. That when you move your foot in a balance in yoga, for example, you change the rest of the body. You know that. You can yes. feel that. Yes, we know that. Yes, because you are interested by the movement. Exactly. Yes, and you can observe what happened when you are moving to you or to your patient because your interest is for the movement. Well, and also something you said earlier, Jean-Claude, that was so brilliant. My interest, like yours, is life, is, is vitality, and movement is a sign of life. And as you've said, Karen Kirkness, my colleague, calls it uh, double-dead anatomy, double-dead. It's not just dead. It's it's dead, and then we extrapolate from it the story of how it must have worked. So we're like two layers away of how it worked, and that's not necessarily how it works. And it's insane to try and understand movement from from dead tissue. You said that at the beginning, without allowing for something in between. And I feel your videos brought us that something in between. Yes, but concerning the muscle. Uh, you have some scientists, scientists who have began to introduce uh, and to explain the movement. For example, well, in France, for example, we have Adalbert Capanji. Capanji wrote a lot of books concerning the biomechanics in the mm -hmm. body, mm -hmm. trying to explain how is contracting muscles, how muscles are contracting to uh, beside muscles, and giving a sort of a new way of thinking anatomy, introducing movement and contraction of muscle. Then, 10 years or 15 years ago, 
some scientists have begun to, to say, well, in a muscle, we have not only cells, there is also a frame, a collagenous frame between the muscle. And during the contraction, all these elements are contracting. So it was a new way of thinking the muscle because until now, a muscle was made of muscular cells, that's all. Mm -hmm. And so you have a nerve, um, a nerve stimulation and all the cells are contracting and giving movement. This is very simple, but this has been taught during centuries and centuries. Now, it is taught that in a muscle, not only the cells are contracting, but also the collagenic frame between the cells. So two elements are contracting and participating to the contraction. So it's a new idea. And um, for me, it's, it's very, very close to what I say and to what I have tried to, to show. For example, in a muscle, not only you can find muscular cells, but you have many other cells, mm. not only muscular cells. And I can show it, but it's not so easily accepted everywhere. No, so, I mean, the most difficult part of it also is this idea that it's a linear contraction that pulls on a local bit, they cut a bit of fascia out and show the contractile nature and the change in a linear manner. But of course, and this is so simplistic, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah. The body is in the round. So if one bit is being pulled towards something, something else is doing the opposite. It literally has to. And so there's this global, as you say, this global response throughout the tissue that <laughs> dances internally. Yes. And it's all, you, you, you use the, the word linear because we are taught concerning linearity, always. We think that all, all events and things around us are linear. We want, well, it's very, you know, it's very... Uh, Ancient. This is called the, the causality. You have one cause and you have one effect. It's yes. very simple. You can predict it and you are happy. Yes. But in life, it's never like that. It's never like that. So we have, we have, if we want to to uh, to, to to understand. We have to change our way of thinking. Yes. In the body, nothing is linear. Amen. Amen. <laughs> nothing is linear. It's totally non-linear. It's totally fractal. Yeah. yeah. It's a we, we call that it's a, a complex. No, it's a chaotic, complex system. Yes. And this kind of chaotic, complex system, non-linear, all this, all the trees, 
all around us, all the, the clouds, all the river, the mountains, all these elements are non-linear. Yeah. That means nature, nature is non-linear. Absolutely. So why we refuse that <laughs> our body is non-linear? I don't understand, except because you don't want to open your eyes and you want to preserve a way of thinking very comfortable. Exactly. Uh, It's why I say now we are at the time, I think, we are at the time to begin a new era. It's a post-Vesalius era. We are in a new way of thinking now. Vesalius has described perfectly a new anatomy, has given to anatomy the the quality of a science, okay, but now we are to make, to, to, to give an evolution to this concept. And we have to begin a post-Vesalius period. Oui, je suis d'accord. And I, I, had a, I made a word out of my own studies um, in, in the lab with, that you've been with us, with me and John Sharkey and, and our colleagues, you know, um, Jupp van der Waal and so on, Ian, uh, Neil Thies. And I came up with a word, architecture, that the fascia offers us variations in architecture with an X not just architecture. It is the core, the, 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 the expression of our living architecture, but it expresses itself in different archetypal architectures. Mm -hmm. And so whether, whether it's the texture of periost or the texture of nerve or the texture of muscle or the texture of the Uh, superficial so-called fascia or the skin, as Neil Thies says, the dermis must be included. And, you know, John says, why isn't the bone included and so on. And we have this dynamic expression of this living architecture. And because it's biological and living, it's nonlinear. Yeah. Like any, uh, like, like cellulose to any plant is nonlinear. That's non absolutely. And I, what I don't understand, I totally appreciate that it takes a lot of time to develop special surgical techniques, that it takes years to develop curricula. Yeah. But John will tell you the anatomy curriculum is the same because he teaches doctors to become doctors. And the, the, the curriculum is the same for 400 years since Vesalius. Yeah. And it's, you know, how do we go about changing it without losing the The, the skills that have been developed by people like you, but at the same time introducing this whole um, body-wide microvacuole collagenic absorbing system of fractal chaos, which I just love. And I, I personally, just on behalf of all the people that I've ever come across, and you know, I've not many, but lots in some ways, I want to thank you for, for what you're doing, because as I understand it, you've now made all the work available to stream on the website, endovivo.com. 
And that will be in the details underneath this podcast for everybody who, who wants to look it up. And as I understand it, it's it's a real dedicated tribute to human intratissular exploration. I love that phrase. And you've got hundreds of photographs as well of the fibers, the cells, the vessels, the nerves, the bones, the muscles, and as you say, everything except the brain. Is that because the brain is very difficult to visualize and and see with endoscope? It's a no, different I, texture. I, I, I think one of these days it will be possible, but uh, I am not a, a neurosurgeon. So I was obliged to ask to my colleague to assist them and to give me to give me time. And it's not so easy. Right. Because, because you are confronted to the to some colleague, anesthesiologist, they don't want to lose time. Uh, Neurosurgeon, they don't appreciate to lose time too much. And me, on my side, you are confronted to the blood because it's bleeding. Yeah. You have some uh, liquids. So you are always washing your lens. So you are losing time. Yeah, of course. And you've got a living patient there, so you don't have yeah. that. And so it's, I never obtain good images. I have tried twice, but I never obtain good images. So I decide to give up and to let it to the new um, generation of surgeons. Well, I don't think any of us can question the quality of the legacy that you've given the world and you know it's not for me to say thank you on behalf of anybody but I know that everybody that's listening to this will say thank you just for the embracing of movement of non-linearity and and of course the the fractal chaos the geometry of the universe yes yes and for me you have to imagine but for me it has been really a, a big changing a turmoil from because I was not I was not really prepared for that because I I am very rationalistic and and uh, not really open to nonlinearity but now now I think if everything is nonlinear so I accept <laughs> I accept and it's very it's very interesting. Because when you know that things are unpredictable, mm. you are prepared to this impredictability. Oui, d'accord. And uh, so maybe you can manage in a better way than when you think that everything is uh, prepared, everything is planned, everything is organized. Sometimes you, you forget that it could be, it could be uh, disrupted. Disrupted. 
Yes. By mm -hmm. something that you have not be you have not predict. Yes. So, so to be it's very for me, I, I wrote a book on that. Maybe one day I will publish it. But I think life is easier when you know that nothing is predictable. Compare to a life where you have planned everything. Because life taught you that you can plan, you can plan, but one day it's not possible. So planification is the door open for uh, deception. In English, deception? Deception, oui, c'est ça. Deception. And disappointment. <laughs> disappointment, yes. Yeah. So, so on, the, on, the, on the philosophical point of view, it's uh, also you can have some reflection concerning freedom. Because, because when you are looking to these fibers with an unpredictable behavior, but with the result of total efficiency. Uh, yes. Exquisite paradox, isn't it? It's an exquisite paradox. Absolutely. But it's a reality. So you have to do with the, the, the difficulty is to accept that at the final compartment of the fibers, you will have a determined movement. So, thanks to aleatory and unpredictable movement of the fibers, but it's a mechanical behavior, not well understood, but it's a mechanical behavior, you have a total determined result. So, you have to mix determinism and non-determinism. Mm -hmm. So, when you accept this way of thinking and you are looking to your own life, you, me, and others, and when you are thinking to what you are, You could say that many things are determined. The color of the skin, the teaching, the parents, the place where you are born, you are born. A lot of elements are totally determined. And 
when you think to that and you say, well, in fact, my life is totally determined. And where is the freedom? Where is my freedom? I am able to be free, really, in fact. I think I am free, but I am free of what? Of what? For example, in England, you don't eat the same way as we eat in France. No. I wish. <laughs> I never chose to, to eat French. I never made the choice of. But I am determined from my childhood, I would to eat like that. It's, it's the same for a, a lot of things like that. So my, the way of dressing, the, the way of speaking, my accent, everything is determined in my life. So where is my freedom? I am really free. And you can, you can think that you are free if you introduce in your totally determined life the part of aleatory, of impredictable things in your own body. You can say, in my body, the way of I am architecture is in fact with a part of aleatory. So it's a part of a sort of opening the fields, opening the fields in a totally determined situation. So it's a way to be free. In fact, it's an illusion. It's a total illusion because the aleatory comportment of the fibers, in fact, is a purely mechanical behavior. There is no other. It's only a new way of thinking the mechanical disposition. Okay. So, well, we are not in, 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 in it's only, a, it's a free discussion, but, this part of aleatory, unpredictable in our body is very interesting. Because, so, yes, yes. No, it's like accepting. So this is fascinating me because I study spiritual science and one of the first laws of spirit is acceptance. And when you accept something as unpredictable, then you are free with it. And if you accept it's predeterminedness you are free with it the freedom is the function of the acceptation yes but the, yes but the way of accept the freedom yes is determined yes <laughs> <laughs> it, i love it because this is like a self perpetuating circle yes, yes. And, and then you just 
end up being this organized organized chaos it's just beautiful yes it's you you know it's very interesting but it it was not really my favorite way of thinking uh, 20 years ago but now it has influenced a lot my my way of doing my way of living and i am accepting now more easily more easily uh, difficult situation More yes, and, and then I think what you can do is you can cooperate because once you accept the parameters, even if you don't like them, if you can accept them, you can then cooperate and understand the situation with a with a compassion, with an awareness. Um, and I want before we go, Jean Claude, I want to read you something. One second, let me just, yeah. just get it. This is a, a quote from um, the history section in uh, in my book about just going back to the history, ancient wisdom and new knowledge. And it's a quote from, because you spoke about Andrew Taylor Still, and this was a quote from um, John Godman. And he wrote this, he, a naturalist and anatomist, 200 years ago. And his uh, work, The Anatomical Investigations, comprising descriptions of various fasciae of the human body in 1824. And he espoused a principle of honest observation of all that was in front of the students. So he wouldn't let them come in with their predicted system looking. He said, just look at what you see and describe it. And he insisted that they ignored preconceived notions of the named systems. They had to look at for themselves. And this is what he wrote. The following investigations were begun without reference to any system and without the slightest wish to support any preconceived opinions. The conclusions drawn were unavoidable, even at first inspection, and their correctness was more firmly established by every subsequent examination. And he discusses how the fascia is everywhere. The fascia changes shape and type and texture, but it constantly and consistently is everywhere throughout the human form. And then he said, the novelty of these descriptions will perhaps be the greatest impediment to their general acceptation. For it has been very correctly remarked by an illustrious anatomist, Geoffroy St. Hilaire, that there are many persons who become furious at the mere enunciation of new ideas. Like him, however, we shall wait patiently convinced that time fixes everything in its place <laughs> and that was in 1824 so where are we now we're nearly in 2024 so we're nearly 200 years later yeah, and you are saying you you're gonna you know exactly the same thing it's yeah, just but, well when i have tried to to read but it's very difficult to read uh, Andreas Vesalius. So 
But he, 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 he said the same thing. Yeah. He said the same thing at that time. He said, well, I'm sorry, I, I just want to describe and to show the description of things. Please, just look. It's only a description. But it's a real description. It's a human real description. It's not a animal, a monkey description. No, it's a human. Yeah, and, and the work that you've done, Jean-Claude, by taking the endoscope using, you know, modern technology that wasn't available to these anatomists and going deep, deep, deep to the microscopic level that we can't otherwise see, you even then people don't want to be persuaded that it's a ubiquitous tissue in total continuity. Well, it's not I, fair. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But... My my job is my job is only it's why I I I I open this website. If people are interested, they can go and see. That's brilliant. If and thank they you. are not interesting, they don't go, and that's all. It's not a problem. But now people can see. And for that, my very dear friend, we thank you. <laughs> okay.